Oh, gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you speak to us and you speak to us so clearly. Uh, even as we deal with uh, various uh, issues in this world, even as we uh, are caught up uh, with uh, many things of this world that lead us away from you, that lead many people in this world away from you, uh, we thank you that your word speaks into that, speaks into the things that, um, that, 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 that draws our worship away from you, that draws our attention, draws our lives, uh, and draws it towards um, destruction. We thank you that your word speaks into those things uh, in order to reveal and in order to redeem. Prayer this morning, as we look into this uh, topic of being rich, uh, and what would Jesus say to those who are rich in this world, we pray that you help us to be able to be convicted of these truths, uh, to embody them ourselves, to show that we trust in your word and live according to it, but also that we have the wisdom to know how we can help those who are rich in this world come to know the Lord Jesus. Uh, please work in us today that we may be of uh, loving service to others uh, and bring the gospel to them. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know how much exactly your family earns or has, uh, but I'm almost 100% certain that everyone here will be in the world's richest 15%. Okay? Uh, so this is stats coming up. In Australia, if your household earns $50,000 after tax and there's only one adult living in your house, you are in the richest 3.6% of the world's population. That means you're richer than all these people in this uh, Pac-Man pie graph, right? 22 times the global average. Now, if you have uh, a family of four, uh, two adults and two children, okay, which is about the Australian average, uh, and you're earning the same amount, then you're in the richest 14.4% uh, of the world's riches. The moral of the story is that marriage and children are expensive. No, it's not kidding. <laughs> 10% more expensive, in fact. Uh, no, that's not the moral of the story. The point is that whether you know your household income or not, I reckon you fit into one of those two categories fairly easily in a bunch like this, right? Uh, we are rich. And the people in our families and the friends around us in Australia, uh, in Singapore, uh, possibly Malaysia, if you go with Malaysian standards of living, Hong Kong, uh, Japan, we, we live among rich people. And, and Jesus has so, so much to say to the rich. In the Bible, it's something like around 2,000 verses that somehow talk about money, right? Or related to money matters. 2,000 verses in the Bible that related to money matters. Now, as I said before, we are going to have a very narrow focus today in terms of uh, what does Jesus say to the rich in terms of helping us to think about how to reach out to them. Uh, we can never possibly cover the whole topic of money from what the Bible teaches in one sermon. It'll probably take a few weeks to get through it. But the big question that we're answering today is this. What would Jesus say to rich people like us wanting to reach out to our rich, unbelieving family and friends? Right, what would Jesus say to rich people like us to be able to reach out to our rich, unbelieving family and friends? Right, what are the most important things we need to hear and do to help us bring the gospel to them? Now, before we get into that, I guess I want to ask you guys to consider, to think about your experience with reaching out to people who are rich and successful. What's your experience been like trying to talk to them when they've been brought up, being convinced that they just need to get good grades, get a good job to be able to afford a good life. Right? Maybe they have parents who weren't so rich 
And they were brought up in a way where money solved everything. Right? Money was the meaning of life. That money brought you happiness and security. What about your experience of talking to those who really are rich and successful? They're already there. They have everything that they need. Maybe the experience we have is that we might not bother reaching out to them. Um, it's too hard. It seems like they already have everything that they need and they want. Why would they want the gospel? Why would they want to give up their enjoyment and pursuits to worship God and serve God? I've been reading some stuff during the week where there is an unreached people group that we don't know about. and It's not in Africa or in Asia, but among the rich that people have kind of given up trying to reach out to the rich, especially the mega-rich. Now, has it been true in your experience that the richer and more successful someone is, the less likely you want to bring out the topic of the gospel? I'm not sure, right? You can share about that at the end. It's one of the questions. Has it been your experience that the richer and more successful that somebody is, the more you think, "Mm, I'll just skip past them and talk to somebody else? Now, what would Jesus say to our rich family and friends? Well, the first thing that Jesus might say, and of course we are speculating here, but from what Scripture says, the first thing that Jesus might say is that money is good. Now, I'm sure you weren't expecting that, right? That money is good. Now, how many times have you guys heard that money is the root of all evils? You've heard that many times, I'm sure, but it's such a gross uh, error in memory verse memory, right? Because the verse actually says, sorry, that's Singapore... For the love of money is the root of, uh, or a root of all kinds of evil, right? It's the love of money, not money itself. We must never demonize money because God never does, right? God says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts, right? All these riches, it belongs to God. And guess what? God blesses his creation with it, right? From the opening pages of scriptures, to the last pages of scriptures, we see a world, a creation depicted as being opulent, right? In, in how much God wants to, to give it material riches and blessings. Story of creation one, uh, Genesis 1 and 2, creation it isn't just an abundant place full of, of food and, and beauty, but it has got uh, precious materials in it. There is gold and onyx and, and all those things. Why, why does there need to be precious stones in, in, in creation in the Garden of Eden? When you get to Revelation 21, 22, and you see the new heavens and new earth, it's even more opulent. Gold-lined streets, uh, uh, jewels and crystals everywhere. Right? The, the, the beginning and end shows a God who is opulent in wanting to bless creation with material wealth and riches. Now money, uh, this materialness, is part of the life that God original, cre- originally created for us to have. Right? This material richness. And money is an expression of that material richness. It's a tool that we use as a medium of exchange, isn't it? Hello. Want to read some books? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> all right. Um, Sunday school's on break uh, this couple of weeks, so uh, for all the kids with us, it's great to have you guys here. I, pro- I try not to be boring, but when you're a kid, you're always bored, aren't you? <laughs> so anyway, we'll keep going. All right, so money is an expression of these riches, right? It's a tool that we use as a medium of exchange, it helps us to be God's stewards uh, in the earth. It helps us to order society. It helps us to survive and thrive. And it helps us to provide for others. Right? Having money and using money is a huge part of how we fulfill God's purpose 
uh, creative purpose uh, for us to rule and care for the world and for each other. Right? Money is a gift, and it's a powerful gift. But as we know, that with great power comes great responsibility, right? With great power also comes great temptation to sin powerfully. And the sad reality is, from Genesis 2 onwards, is that humanity as a whole, and especially those in wealthier countries, have greatly failed to handle the responsibility of our wealth. So much of economic inequality of the world is due to human sin, greed, selfishness, and oppression. Money is given to us as a good gift from God, but in our sinfulness, we do not glorify God in our use of money. Instead, so many in our world has treated God, money as God, has replaced the true God with money. And so Jesus will say to us next and strongly warn us that money is good, but it isn't God. Right? Money is good, but it isn't God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now it's clear that Jesus is positioning money as an alternative God to the one true God. Right? You, you either serve God or you serve money, elevating money to a kind of God status that you could possibly serve. Now how do we know that money has become a God that we worship? How do we know that? Well, listen to this quote from a book called Beyond Greed, which is a great book to read uh, unless you don't want to be challenged about being greedy, right? Uh, in Western society, <clears throat> in general, the economy has achieved what can only be described as a status equal to that of the sacred. Like God, the economy, it is thought, is capable of supplying people's needs without limit. And like God, the economy is mysterious, unknowable, and uncontrollable. It has both great power and great danger. It is an inexhaustible well of goods and is credited with prolonging life, giving health, and enriching lives. Money in which we put our faith and advertising which we adore are among its rituals. Right? You replace God with economy or with money. It almost is treated as a form of God that can supply our needs, give us the life we want, give us significance satisfaction and security, right? That's kind of what God does. Uh, it tells us who we are, significance, uh, fulfills us, satisfies, and secures us, gives us a hope that we can hold on to. So the question we can ask is, has money not become a God? Now, the courses we do in school and uni, the marks we get, they define us so much. Why? Because it determines who we are and the kind of work that we will do in the future. And of course, the work that we do in the future gives us our status, and it gives us money, which then helps us to be able to afford the lifestyle that we want to live, right? In other words, it determines our identity and our experience of life. Now, for so many of us living in Australia and Southeast Asia, money and the life that it buys gives us our significance, Right, people look at the, uh, your address, especially in Singapore. Very easy, right? In my youth group, when I was in Singapore, there was a, you know, your church directory, which was printed in the past. Now it's on Google Forms or whatever, Google Sheets. But it used to be printed in a book, and you can flip through it. 
people's names, their birthday, and their address. You can always tell who the rich ones were because there wouldn't be a hashtag, right? It wouldn't be a hex 07-122, you know, whatever. You know you didn't live in a block because you live in a house, you know? One, Marigold Drive. Wow. You know, I don't care where that is in Singapore, as long as it's a one Marigold Drive or a number and a street name, you're rich. Then they see the car you rock up in. Do you have a Mercedes, a Toyota? Or did you catch, you know, bus 11, right? <laughs> did you walk to church? And status symbols that tell you who you are and determines how much you can enjoy, whether you have to go to Johor for a holiday or Japan for a holiday, right? You say that, and uh, your people know what kind of person that you are, how much satisfaction you can get out of life. And money is, of course, what secures that good life, isn't it? Money is what secures that good life. Now, in the stock market, you can literally buy securities, Right? Can someone explain to me what securities is one day? You, you, buy, you pay money to secure your shares or something. Right? I don't know, understand, right? So you, you pay money to, to get more money, maybe. But money not, doesn't just secure your life. Money secures the life of our children. Right? But how many we don't work for ourselves? We work for our children's security, don't we? Now, I'm not saying that doing those things are in itself sure that you worship God, but if, if that's all life is, if that's your main pursuit, then has not money become a god, the one we worship? Just one more right? Think, way to think about whether money has become a god. There's this Puritan guy called David Clarkson. He came up with a list of 10 things which shows whether it's something we worship or live for. Okay, so worship is that in which we most highly value or esteem, we are most mindful of, we think about the most, we most chase after, we are most resolved to do, right? must do. We most love. We most fear the loss of. I love this one. When you lose it, it's what makes you most fearful. We most enjoy. We most delight in. We are most zealous for, passionate about. And we are most grateful for. And I would add an 11th one, okay, which is particularly a Chinese one, is we will make sacrifices for. Okay, so he defines worship as, as fulfilling those things, right? Now, one of those things in itself, maybe not, but if, you, if, if, if many of those things are, are, are how you treat money, then has it not become a God that we worship? Every single person in the world worships something or someone. Everyone values and thinks about and chases after, is most resolved to do, loves, enjoys, fears the loss of, delights in, is zealous for, is most grateful for, and will make sacrifices for someone or something. And money is definitely one of those things and perhaps one of the greatest things that the people in our world worship today. Right? We know the signs, right? the long hours devoted to work, sacrificing our youth so that we can earn and enjoy in the later years, sacrificing family time, the pursuit of career, to provide a lifestyle that, that costs big money sometimes. We know the signs, right? worries over finances that keep us up at night, the joy that comes from a promotion or a pay rise, the thrill of share prices going up, the fear of economic instability, potential job loss and investment that tanks. Money is what causes many people's hearts to sing or to sting. 
has money not become a God that we worship? See, so many people think that money serves them, right? That you need money to serve you, to be able to do what you want, not realizing that they're the ones actually serving money, that they're the ones in bondage to master money. Now, very few people will admit to being a worshiper, but worshippers, we and they are. And money is good, but it isn't God. It can't be God. It simply doesn't work. And that's what Jesus would say, right? It isn't God, it's the first thing, but it also can't be your God. It's not going to work. Money is a great servant, but it's a terrible master. <clears throat> Money can never bear the responsibility, the heavy responsibility of giving us the significance and the satisfaction and the security that the only true God can give us. Now, serving money leads to terrible consequences. And I think Jesus would tell us this, right? The first thing he would say to us is that the first and most serious consequence is that God is provoked into jealousy, which leads to judgment. God is provoked into jealousy and leads to judgment. Remember the words that God said to Israel, to his people, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a calf image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, by showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. <clears throat> the Bible is clear that there is one God and there is no other, and he has gone to great lengths to reveal himself. From creation itself, declaring his glory, to the prophets that came to speak the word of God, to the word become flesh, Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, through his sending out of the apostles, through the preaching of his word down through the centuries, God has been making himself known. And to worship anyone or anything else is sin. It's hateful to God. It's an it's a, it's a insult to our Creator. It's wrong and it's wicked. And the Scriptures tell us that God's jealousy is provoked and His judge, just judgment will fall. God is not a God you can scorn and get away scot-free. Right? Worshipping an alternative God is not a good idea. It's a terrible idea. Right? Now secondly, and, and deeply connected to the first point of God's jealousy, is that money can never give us security. Money can never give us security. Right? Proverbs 11, Riches do not profit. They do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. <clears throat> Riches are as useful before God on judgment day as a thousand dollar bottle of champagne before a raging forest fire. Right? You get this expensive bottle of champagne, you pour it over the fire, no use. Right? Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. Money, like everything else in this earth, every other material thing in this earth, will be burned up at Jesus' return. We will all stand with nothing to offer God. We will be exposed naked for who we are, and we will have to give an account of the way we've treated God and lived the life that God gave us to live. And the only thing that will stand on that day is the righteousness that is given to us through Christ. The righteousness of Christ is the only thing that can save us on that day. But it isn't just a day of judgment where we'll see that money can't provide security. 
right? It can't secure us on their judgment, uh, but it can't provide security even now. If you know the story that Jesus told uh, to his disciples in Luke chapter 12 about a rich man right, who had many fields, and he kept building bigger barns, right? Bigger and bigger barns to store more and more produce that he was producing from his crops. And he was going to do that so that he could store it up and, and enjoy when he became old. Sounds like a familiar tale, isn't it? Store up now to enjoy when we're older. But what does Jesus say? Don't say that one. He says this, right? Uh, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? As a parable, as many parables of Jesus tell us, where God or death could visit us at any time. We all know this, don't we? We all don't assume that we'll live to the right old age of 82 or whatever the average is of Australia. Especially in our community, we've seen that death comes to us at any time. And yet people carry on, even we carry on, as if we will get to the right old age and we'll be able to enjoy the fruits of our labor in the future. We can trust in the security that money buys us. But it's not only death that can come, other tragedies can strike as well. Global financial crises, accidents and illnesses, betrayal and crime. Money has a habit of disappearing, doesn't it? I love this proverb. Uh, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, fly like an eagle toward heaven. uh, Money just has this habit of disappearing. Right, when we went... Uh, literally, sometimes it happens, right? We flew to Japan for a holiday, and the money disappeared from my bank account, <laughs> right? It, it sprouted wings and fly, literally. It flew away, right? And then I bought tickets because we're going to Singapore at the end of the year for my long service leave and to visit you know, churches and, and graduates, and I see money flying once again. And I'll literally be flying off with my money, right, at the end of the year. I will not be traveling for a long time after this year, right? It's just money flying away. And so Jesus says to us, for our own present and eternal good, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, the certainty of God, if I could put it in there, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Right? No security in money. Not only that, there's no satisfaction either. No lasting satisfaction. No true and deep and eternal satisfaction that God created for us to enjoy. Now, many of you may be familiar with a book called Affluenza by Clive Hamilton and Richard Dennis. It's an Australian book written about 10 plus years ago. Uh, And it's basically a a report, right, from the Australian Institute about how this new disease called affluenza is the mixture of affluent and influenza, right, into one word. It's this disease, right, that struck the kind of Western world. Affluenza is the disease of placing a high value on money, possessions, appearances, and fame. And and through this research, they show how the Western world is in a grip of consumption binge that is unique in human history. We aspire to the lifestyles of the rich and famous at the cost of family, friends, and personal fulfillment. In the report, it shows that the rates of stress and depression and obesity are up as we wrestle with the emptiness and endless disappointments of the consumer life. These pressures lead people to self-medicate with mood-altering drugs and excessive alcohol consumption. 
Right? In short, if you had to write a book in this one sentence, rich people are unhappier people. It's basically the summary of the book. Rich people are unhappier people. Now, there's another book that's more recent called The Price of Privilege. How parental pressure and material advantage are creating a generation of disconnected and unhappy kids. That's a very long tagline. But okay, that's what it is, right? Now, this book reflects on numerous studies done in recent years showing that bright, charming, seemingly confident and socially skilled teenagers, which all these people here, right? Bright, charming, seemingly confident and socially skilled. Right, yeah, I see that. From affluent families, loving families, are experiencing epidemic rates of depression, substance abuse, and anxiety disorders. Rates higher than in any other socioeconomic group of American adolescents. Materialism, pressure to achieve, perfectionism, and disconnection are combining to create a perfect storm that is devastating children of privilege and their parents alike. Out of any socioeconomic group, the research shows that the kids of affluent families are the ones doing the worst right, in these factors. In short, if the book was written in one sentence, the more money we give our children, the more miserable they and we become. Right? Okay, so Winnie's looking at the kids there. Listen carefully, right? The more money we give you guys, the more miserable you will be. Okay? Parents are very happy right now. Like, oh, don't give my children money. Now, of course, thousands of years ago, God has already told us this. Right? Ecclesiastes 5. <clears throat> he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Three verses later. He who loves, sorry, this, there is a grievous evil, sorry, there is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, right? Money kept brings harm sometimes, right? Doesn't not just, it doesn't just not satisfy in a true way, it can actually bring us harm. That's what Bible says, and that's what research shows, Right? In our experience. And finally, 1 Timothy 6. For the love of money, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Uh, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money is a root cause of so much pain in our lives from governments and the way that they misuse money, the greed, uh, the, the oppression and injustice, the corruption. Our personal relationships, you know, the way that, that money has caused broken relationships in families and businesses, the way that it has destroyed even our own hearts and our minds, the way that we, we, we let go of our morals, right, to cheat and steal and lie to get ahead in life. Our love of money, our pursuit of getting more and more of it has left the trail of a broken world, broken relationships, and broken souls, I want you guys to share these stories with each other in your own lives and in what you see around the world, right? To be convinced that money cannot be our God. It cannot rule us. Now, it's into our worship of money and into money's failure to be our God that Jesus says to us, I have come to forgive and to release, to forgive you for your idolatry in serving this counterfeit God, and to release you from the, the slavery 
right, to this terrible master. That's what Jesus came to do. The Son of God came to bring us forgiveness. Remember, the first and foremost problem with, with money being our God is that it provokes the jealousy and the judgment of God. First and foremost, we need forgiveness that we have not served and worshipped God though He ought to be. As we've heard before, money and riches will not get us anywhere before the judgment throne of God. Right, in the famous uh, hymn, Rock of Ages, right, nothing in our hands we bring, simply to your cross I cling. On the day of judgment, we'll be naked and bare before God, and it's only the righteousness of Jesus that will be able to help us before his throne of grace, before his throne of judgment. It is Jesus alone who offers the forgiveness of sins that allows us to stand before God, even the forgiveness of the way that we've lived for the things of this world. But it isn't just forgiveness that we need, and it isn't just forgiveness that Jesus gives. We also need to be released, isn't it, from this slavery and bondage to our love of money. Jesus knows just how much of a bondage money is to all of us. It is perhaps the most alluring of all the counterfeit gods. And it's so acceptable to worship this God in our world today. It is so promoted, especially in the Chinese culture, right, that we actually worship the God of money. And even if we don't worship the actual God of money, Guan Ying or Tai Sun Ye or whatever, we, we do very much believe that money will give us the life that we need and want. Jesus came to dismantle the rulers and authorities and to put them to open shame, to triumph over them. And let's be clear, money is a ruler and authority in this world, right? A minion, in a way, of the evil one. So many are in bondage to the counterfeit god of money, we know it in our own lives, and we see it in our family and friends. And the only way to be freed from this terrible master is to find freedom in Christ. Now, I'm sure Jesus would say a lot more, but I think that's enough for us to think about some implications for us in our outreach to the rich. Now, the first thing I think we need to say is that the, re- the rich need the gospel. Right? Can we see that? They, they need the gospel, desperately need the gospel, because they are under God's wrath. They're feeling secure when they're actually doomed. They're feeling safe when they're in danger. They are not living the best life now. They are living the worst life now, chasing after the wind, enjoying the mud in the slum where they're being given an offer to play in the sand, the beach, by the resort. Don't envy the rich. Don't look at the rich and envy them, right? There's so many Proverbs and Psalms where God tells us, don't envy the rich. Don't think they don't need the gospel. They need it desperately. It's not just that they need the gospel. They want the gospel, I think. The rich want the gospel because they want true significance. They want true satisfaction. They want security like everybody else. Whether they're really rich or they're seeking for more riches, what they're wanting is significance, satisfaction, and security like everyone else. And we know that Jesus Christ, through the gospel, is the only way that we can have that. Through the forgiveness that he brings and the new life that we have in Christ with the full revelation of what this world's about, to be able to know and love God and live for him, to be able to know about the eternity that is to come, that is what gives us our significance and satisfaction and security. We know that the rich want the gospel because we know they have empty lives. They may not always acknowledge it, They may look happy and successful most of the time, 
But once in a while, you'll see the great chinks in that armor, the great chasms in their soul, where they are empty. Even though they have it all in the world, they feel empty and lonely and lost. And into this void, we can lovingly speak the gospel. And so what do we do? We engage with the rich with the gospel. Rich people love talking about money, right? Every conversation is about property or shares, promotion, job, career, maybe education, sending kids to what school, which university, next holiday, next purchase of the car, house, investment property. Every rich love talking about money. So talk right, with them about money. Uh, what, is it, what are you talking about? When, when you talk about these things, what is it tied to? Let me guarantee you, it's always tied to significance, satisfaction, or security. Right? When they talk about money, it's usually because they're trying to think about whether it's something that will make them feel good or, or, or develop their reputation or their, their identity. Or it's satisfaction, whether they can enjoy more of life, have the kids enjoy more of life. Whether it's about security, it's about securing the future, it's about right, being able to, to, to not worry about what, what's, what's to come. It's, it's always to do with one of those three things. And so when they talk about it, and when they're succeeding and feeling good about themselves, well, rejoice with them. Rejoice with them, right? Remember, riches are a gift from God. We don't have to malign it. We don't always have to be a wet blanket, right? We can say, great, I'm so glad that you got that promotion. Wow, that's a beautiful new car. We don't have to be a wet blanket. We can acknowledge that money is a good thing, okay? It's a good starting point, isn't it? Because sometimes Christians have come across as being these party poopers. <gasps> New car. Are you sure you should spend, you know, we're always so negative. <laughs> sometimes reaching out to unbelieving friends, showing that there's, but you, you bring in when you have success, when you have riches, you bring God into it. You're very open and natural with giving praise and thanks to God. And then you can slip in that while it may have come about from their hard work, a lot of our successes whether you're a believer or unbeliever, is from, from, from matters within, with, without our control, outside of our control. Time and chance is often how come we can be rich. And if you mention that, maybe you can bring in and say, you know, it's amazing, isn't it, that, that these things have happened in such a way that, that, that you're in this situation. And, and bring in that in your interpretation, it's because God is in control. Because God has given these things to you. And you can suggest that He's given it to them as well. And then maybe when the time is right, you can bring in a different perspective, a challenging perspective, to say that, you, you know, will these things really make you happy? Will these things really satisfy? Are you prepared for the end of life? What do you think about that? Can you bring your riches to the grave? And what happens beyond the grave? Right, start positive, connect, bring in new ideas that they haven't thought about, and then challenge that's a good process, I think, in evangelism. Not just to go hit-butting all the time with the world's views of things, but to join them in the journey and then see if you can turn them around to think differently and then have the opportunity and earn the right, in a way, I think, to preach the gospel clearly and strongly. The key is to listen as people reveal themselves when they talk about their money and their possessions, their hopes and dreams. Because we know that these are questions about significance and satisfaction and security that we have the answers for. That these things are good, but they're not ultimate what they're chasing for. And from the good, we can point them to the ultimate. We can point them to Jesus Christ. Now, as we rich Christians go about doing this, I think one of the biggest factors in our evangelism is we ourselves and the lives that we live. 
Are we rich Christians showing that the gospel significance, the gospel satisfaction, and the gospel security trumps everything that this world can offer? Or are we no different to them? Right? As, as rich Christians, we must be Christians first and rich second. Right? That we are Christians who just happen to be rich. Right? We are Christians who have money, not money who has us. Does that make sense? We will show that, that our identity and significance is based and found in Christ alone. That we are most excited about, most joyful for the forgiveness that we have in Christ, that we are the children of God. That's what matters to us most. It will be clear from the way that we live, the things that we say, and especially what we do with our money, to show that we're investing in things that show our, our convictions about Christ and His kingdom. It will also be obvious to us that God and His kingdom matters satisfies us the most. That we have the most excitement and the most joy when we talk about our relationship with God and with other believers. We're most excited when we talk about our service to church, our reaching out to the world. We show uh, greater joy in talking about kingdom matters rather than earthly riches. And sometimes, you know, we can fall into that trap of being so excited about the things of this world. I used to be an evangelist for coffee. How right, many of you know that? Steve is still here, right? He needs to repent. Okay? <laughs> I don't talk about coffee anymore, have you noticed? Right? I used to, maybe seven, eight years ago, and I created a raft of people spending thousands of dollars on coffee machines, right? I was the first person to own an expensive coffee machine in this church, and I repent, right, of being an influencer in that way. And I was so excited about coffee back in those days. I still enjoy my coffee, but I'd rather not talk about it so much anymore, right? People ask about it, I'll chat about it, I'll enjoy it, but I want to be more excited about kingdom matters. You know, we, we want to be able to show that the security that we have is found in Christ, not in all things on this earth. You know, where we live with this abiding trust in the gospel that secures this life and the next. It's seen in the way that no matter what happens in life, whether things are going well or poor financially or in any other area of life, that we have this certain hope in Christ that sees us through. I hope there will be those who are rich, who lives out that significance, that satisfaction, and that security in the gospel as a way that, that the foundation, in a way, of our evangelism to our rich family and friends. Let me pray that will happen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the one that gives us our significance, that in Christ alone do we find true satisfaction. And that through his death and resurrection, his righteousness given to us, that we have security now and forever. We thank you that your word so clearly tells us how money often is presented to us as a counterfeit God, a master that wants to rule us, and that we gladly obey. That it too offers us significance and satisfaction and security, but that it is so counterfeit, it is so poor and weak in what it offers us. Help us, and through us, help the world to see how money can never be our God. Help us to be able to find loving and creative and wise and helpful and, and courageous ways to share the gospel to the family and friends around us. Help us to be able to rejoice that money is a gift from you, but help us to be able to turn conversations, to be able to bring in uh, different ideas so that we can challenge our family and friends to think differently about these things and even to have an opportunity to be able to boldly preach uh, about Jesus. 
We pray that most of all, you'll help us to be able to live that out ourselves as Christians who are rich. That we'll be able to, to really not treat riches as our God, to show that you are much better, that you're the only alternative, that you're the only true God. And pray all this in Jesus' most precious name.